Hello everyone, I'm Samantha Jane Smith. And I'm Jacob Keynes, and you are listening to the Classical Queer Podcast. Join us as we listen to queer classical music from around the world, talk with composers, and explore the wonderful, diverse, and growing repertoire of LGBTQ musicians. In the first part of today's show, we'll be speaking to award-winning Nova Scotian composer Fiona Ryan about her music and influences. Fiona is a composer, teacher, tutor, as well as a musical director and musician. In the second part of the show, Jacob and I will be discussing Fiona's music in the context of queer music. So come join us. Welcome to the first Classical Queer podcast. My name is Jacob Keynes, and I am a conductor and a musicologist. Most of my time as a musicologist is spent studying how queer classical musicians write and perform and create. Hi everyone, I'm Samantha Jane Smith. I present the Classical Music Show on Trans Radio UK and have been an avid listener to classical music for almost half a century. I should say I have no musical talent whatsoever, so I approach music from the perspective of the average layperson. Let's get straight on with the show. Here's Jacob. Uh, So today we are going to be joined by the lovely Fiona Ryan, who is a composer here in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, We're going to talk about three pieces uh, that Fiona sent us to to have a listen to, and we're going to listen to them. So we have uh, April Elegy. Uh, Witches, Caves, and Cities. We'll also have a listen to Twinkling Stars in a bit as well. Uh, but a bit about Fiona before we have a chat. Uh, Fiona's a Nova Scotian composer. Quite partial to that being a Nova Scotian myself, <laughs> but Nova Scotian composer uh, who uh, writes a lot for uh, vocals and instrumental music, orchestral, wind ensemble. But Fiona also works as a performer and a music teacher and a music director uh, and has uh, taught at universities and uh, teaches quite a bit currently. Fiona has a Doctor of Musical Arts from the University of Toronto and a Master's in Composition from Newcastle University and uh, from Halifax's own Dalhousie University as well, where we actually met uh, when we were both teaching there. Uh, So welcome to Fiona. Hello. Hi, thank you for inviting me to join you in this conversation today. We're so thrilled you're here. We're going to start by listening to um, uh, Witches, Caves, and Cities. Can you tell us a bit about this one? So we uh, we love the, the, the story behind it, but I would love to hear it in your words. Okay. Yeah, it's been a little while since I wrote this, but um, when I... When I created this piece of music, I was um, trying, I was feeling a little, I had been moved back to Halifax and I was um, teaching some courses and stuff, but I was feeling a little bit like uh, separated from the sort of composition and music community that I had been a part of um, while and after I had been studying uh, in Toronto. So I come back and I was trying to, sort of build up my motivation again to actually compose 
um, some more. And I had a little like project that didn't last very long, but my idea was that I was going to create my own sort of creative responses to uh, concerts and music that I listened to. And um, so this one was a particular concert that had, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what the program was. There were a few pieces, definitely Witch Gong Game. Um, <laughs> and I think maybe something else, it was either one or two different events that I combined together and something else, maybe an American in Paris. It was something to do with like a city, yeah. a theme of like a piece of music that was inspired by a location. Mm. Um, and then the caves, I don't know if that really, I can't remember if that was specifically from one of the pieces, um, but I kind of went off in my own direction with like just a few little like tidbits of the inspirations that had uh, inspired these other pieces. And I was like, what would they inspire me to create? And uh, yeah, it's a sort of quite influenced by a lot of um, improv and like free improv stuff that I've done. And um, it was mostly just, I think entirely just me in my little like alcove in my room that I had set up as like, a mini studio uh, with a bunch of different instruments and my voice and just like making, improvising a bunch of stuff and then like editing it together into something that I thought sounded interesting. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, where that one came from. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and April Elegy, because we're going to play that one as well. What, uh, where did that one come from? So that one was, um, I wrote that last, April. Um, and it was, um, there was just a lot of, I mean, with COVID uh, going on and everybody being isolated from each other, there was a lot of sort of sadness and unhappiness and, and grief that people were feeling. But also in Nova Scotia, there had been a mass shooting as well, um, pretty recently. And that was like sort of a shock because it's not a thing that happens. I mean, it's always tragic, but it's especially tragic in a place that isn't that big and where a lot of people do know each other and a lot of people I knew of like knew somebody from this or that town where um, someone had been uh, hurt or killed so there was that sort of province-wide grief happening as well and I just kind of wanted to create something that was um, sort of a response to that but also had some elements of hope in it as well so like pretty classic um reason for composing some <laughs> 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 uh, I saw some meme joking about how every time something bad happens the composer is like writing something like that and I was like oh that was me last year um <laughs> but yeah it was also sort of a it was one that I ended up um sharing at uh, actually a couple of people that I knew who were involved in like church music and were were doing their worship services online asked about you know sharing it so it got shared with like um a bit of a broader community online um and I deliberately wrote something that was sort of um hopeful and had moments of beauty in it um even though it also had some moments of sadness as well so that's sort of the story behind that one hmm. yeah one of the things that Sammy and I were talking about, uh, about your music um, before you joined us was that we're so aware when we listen to your music that you're drawing from so many different sources. <laughs> and 
there's there are moments in, in maybe Abrology uh, that are that I that I can understand as a, a um, classical in in, yeah. in the broadest yeah yeah sense. Oh, for sure um, and then it's it's so radically different than to listen to uh, which is case in cities or uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or twinkling stars yeah and, and you draw from so many different places uh, and I like I always wonder like how conscious is that is it just what you are listening to, what you're playing, how you approach it. How does that come about? Um, yeah, I mean, it is deliberate. And I think that's always been kind of a part of what appeals to me. I have a very sort of um, big picture way of thinking and I don't. So I can get interested in details, but I have to kind of get focused and be inspired by whatever the big picture is in order to get to that place. Um, so for me, it's like sort of a matter of like how I actually manage to create anything is that I have to have some kind of connection to it. But then what goes into the creation is quite varied because I like a lot of different things. And, and um, I have sort of uh, a tendency to want to like synthesize and and combine things and see what happens that sort of like musical alchemy of like what if I mix this with a bit of this and then we uh, stir them together with some chords <laughs> and then we see what happens uh, <laughs> uh, and um, yeah I think I've always been tended toward being eclectic and but also a lot of the things that I write, it's not like I sit down and I say, oh, I'm going to write something that sounds classical right now, unless that happens to be a commission that I get. But all of, like most of two out of the three of these were not particularly related to any request. They were just things I wrote of my created, I guess, more than wrote of my own volition um, and not from any sort of outside request. Um, and those are the two that we've talked about so far so um it kind of I don't sit down and say oh I'm gonna write this type of thing or oh I'm gonna like improvise and create this type of thing I just kind of see where the inspiration behind it takes me so um like whatever the idea is that's behind a piece of music that is sort of the key thing for me and that's what holds everything together and regardless of what elements I pull together or what sort of stylistic things I pull together it's that overall idea behind it for me that keeps me interested and that like I know if I have that if I have um so which is caves and city it's it's having these pieces of music that inspired it and the, and this idea of like witches caves and cities <laughs> these three different things and I'm like everything has to relate to that and if it does I know I can create something cohesive and so the same thing with the elegy that was very much based again one that was based on improvising I did a bunch of improvising on piano and then I sort of took bits and pieces or like quite some fairly substantial excerpts of what I played that I really liked and sort of created that into a piece and that I re-recorded that final version of it when I was um, when I was creating it and wrote that out on a score as well. Um, but I, yeah, it's more about where that particular idea takes me that I start with in the first place. But yes, there are lots of influences and I have 
I enjoy participating in lots of different types of music. And when I don't have enough of one thing, I'll, I'll miss it. So, you know, I'm like, oh, I really miss playing like in a rock band. But at the same time, I'm like, ooh, I also miss playing like Renaissance uh, keyboard music. So, you know, <laughs> it kind of is like all over the place. <laughs> I think that was kind of interesting for me is when Jacob sent the music to me, I sort of, I listened to the three pieces and it was like, is this the same person almost? <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of like, has, has Jacob got these confused with somebody else? Because it, it wasn't just that the influences to me were different. It did actually sound like, and maybe this is, is, is uh, maybe I'm pushing it a bit too far, but it was almost like a different person recording, uh, play, uh, composing some of the pieces. You know, I, I got a, I yeah. got almost like a different personality from each of the pieces that came through. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they kind of do have their own life. I kind of, I guess I kind of regard them almost as if I was creating like theatrical works like or creating mm -hmm. characters or literary um that like they yes they're all like they come from me but each of them is like its own character and that and those characters that are the pieces they don't they might reflect some aspect of me and my experience but like it's not just me and so it was a weird thing I think when I was studying uh composition there's a lot of sort of people talk about things like oh yeah like have you has this, this person's really finding their voice as a composer or, like have you really found your voice as a composer and I'm like I think I have but like it's not describable in the way that people think people are like oh what kind of music do you write and I'm like well it <laughs> 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 um, would take a while <laughs>
it's like we were like we were saying before we listened to it listening to Averology has so much um classical structure and form and sound and vibe and it obviously is then connected to a form and elegy like a, a connection to that um and to me it, it I, I'm always struck by the like the simplicity and beauty of like piano music and listening to just a nice sounding collection of uh, piano sounds like it's that's such a strange way to put it but like a like a nice piano elegy is such a beautiful thing uh, yeah. to listen to and and you were saying that it uh, part of it was drawn from the uh, Porta Pic shooting. And it's it's such a cathartic thing to write music, and you you had joked about you know this is what composers do in in these times is someone is writing something, but there's a reason that's 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 yeah. a role for composers, um, and it's uh, it's just such a beautiful piece of music to to be reflective about. Um, do you have the same? feeling being the composer do you also listen to it and feel that catharsis do you have that um yeah i think so i mean in this case it was one that i also like i, I played it and recorded myself playing it um so it, there was that feeling while i was playing it and creating it and like i said before this is one that sort of um grew out of improvising um, so I was sort of there, uh, letting those feelings guide it as I played and guide what, what I played once I had sort of come across a couple of sort of main ideas that I'm like, oh, like this is from this like sad piece that I really like. And then this is the kind of, um, you know, uh, like impressionist, like, uh, rising and falling that we have in there as well and then the other other elements of like repeating chords like you might find in uh, Chopin or something but then there's also in there to me and maybe not to other people but to me there are also elements of like um, little kind of piano little piano fragments and motives and 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 licks I guess that you might play in like a contemporary musical theater um, world as well that definitely have that classical influence also, but like can kind of start to come closer to more popular worlds. Um, I don't think it's necessarily obvious, but I know that those things are quite under my fingers. So I know that that is where I will often go on piano <laughs> is to have just little, little bits and pieces of that kind of style coming in there as well. Um, yeah, I, th I think one of the, something you said there sort of resonated with when I listened to it is this. It, it seemed to me that that on occasions the piece almost wanted to burst out into <laughs> another place, but you yeah. kept like restrained and confined. It kept, it kept like I kept thinking, oh, "We're gonna," and no, it doesn't. It kept coming yeah. back and being pulled back. And I, for me, that tension that you generated there was was like all the way through the piece and that for me was quite was quite interesting exciting part of it I, I didn't I was like I was like is it no no oh we're back oh you know and more restrained so that was kind of interesting for me yeah that was definitely I think part of what my thinking was too and that 
idea like that does kind of relate to when you are feeling big feelings um, that like you have these moments where you just like want to let everything out but like there's always some point where you have to like pull yourself back from being too caught up in that emotion because otherwise you won't be able to get on with yeah. living yourself so yeah I think that kind of idea was at play behind it for sure um yeah, yeah. it was almost like it was almost like it was almost like it went behind a screen if you know what I mean it was like it sort of you know kept you as you say it was almost like your your I'm going to put this in my terms but it was almost like your yeah. your emotion was coming out and then you had to somehow stop it from from leaking out and and, <laughs> and and taking you somewhere else and so you pushed it back in you're like behind the screen again and keeping yourself confined yeah and I mean I feel like that also could be quite relevant to I think just the some aspects of culture in Nova Scotia and that like you can be expressive but like there's a point at which um you you're like you oh you should be considerate of like other people and we gotta just buckle down and get on with our lives <laughs> so I think which isn't a positive word that's just how it is positive or negative that's um that will be like yeah I don't think we're in a this part of the world that we're unafraid to feel but I also think that there's very much a sense of oh well better just like get on yeah. with it and like do what we have to do and we'll we'll get through somehow and we'll like lose our strength um yeah. so there is that and I think that's probably a part of it and I very much was thinking about like what what is going on around like what is this sort of like emotional like zeitgeist in the air and what am I feeling and how does that relate to like what I imagine other people would be feeling um right now in this particular place where i live um yeah hmm. it's funny you say that i feel that very much about nova scotia but would never have been able to articulate it in that way and it's so accurate but i wouldn't have said that but it is very true <laughs> i hope no one gets offended but like, but, but that's, yeah, they won't say anything if they are. They won't say anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. I mean, I live in Sweden, and the same thing applies to Swedish people. They have a very, you know, and they don't let it out. But it applies to British people. The stiff upper lip. There's yeah. all. Well, I think wherever you are, you have this sort of contained emotion that you know you can't show it and you've got to hold it back and and if you don't you're you're no longer a good person or whatever whatever it is. It's it's kind of that everywhere. Yeah. I feel. I feel like it's also something that I know from like I know has created really beautiful music in the past and and that I can feel that in other music that I listen to sometimes and the kinds of music that I was like that were on my mind as I was creating this um that sense of of like uh sadness or longing or wanting to express something that you can't quite fully um get out or articulate or that you don't feel like you could say or that you feel like would interfere with going on with your life and doing what else you had to do um mm. yeah and, and i think the nice thing about this piece for me is that if you have that in your in your life you sort of you sort of um uh, you sort of can see that in your piece you know one may have something like that that's individual to you but the piece makes you feel that it's written for you and that you feel that about it. If you see what I mean, you can, you yeah. can adapt it to your own circumstance. 
Yeah, and I, I love that idea. Um, and that's like very much a place where I am right now is thinking about that and that sort of relationship between the people, the person or people creating music and the person or people listening to music and that um, that kind of um, ebb and flow of like who who's creating the meaning and that like, mm. you know, the listener is creating the meaning that the creator of the music, the composer or performer is a part of that as well. And that there's this sort of um, continuum back and forth between all of these people who are involved. Uh, and yeah, right now I've just been sort of feeling like I've been able to break out of the hierarchy of that. So I really like hearing that, um, that you found that there was a piece that I wrote where it feels like, okay, there's like this emotional thing that is relatable to lots of people, but each person can kind of take what they would connect that to their own particular experience. Yeah, um, yeah I love that idea. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
I think there's a when I if we can switch gears to to uh, the other one the the which is caves uh, and which is cities and caves the use of electronics and the use of like um, kind of other soundscapes and color was really and and always is like fascinating to me because there's there's so much you can access so much more color wise and sound wise when we uh like break free of of kind of traditional constraints what are your what are your thoughts around that um yeah i mean i think a lot of my like a lot of my music has been mostly sort of acoustic focused but there's always been a little vein we're not always but for actually no, really, yeah since fairly early on in my composing always like a little vein of um also being really interested in uh creating electronic music but i haven't sort of did never delve into the really technical technological side of things uh as much as i maybe would have liked to or could have and hopefully someday i will get there <laughs> um but i do i like the idea of um of how electronics can transform something. So how you can take something from one medium of like an acoustic sound uh, and transform it through putting it into uh, an putting it into an electronic sound medium. Um, and that, yeah, that idea of transformation and like what things get lost or gained in the translation um, has been really fascinating to me. Um, I mean, in that element, but just in general, the idea of transformation and the idea of like translation and like putting, taking something from one, from one um, art form and, or, and putting it into another or one type of sound and putting it into another and seeing what happens. Um, I don't do a ton of super deep processing on things. It's, fairly minimal um would I like that because I like to still I like the idea that you can still hear something of the original sound um and even if it's altered that like you can hear both sort of things combining together um mm. yeah there we go again <laughs> combining things together <laughs> and not wanting to choose me <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you don't know, we've had a, a bit of a conversation about this in the past about like this uh, like duality that the this uh, maybe like creating from a queer space is like inherently like bringing those things through a transition in general that we're kind of mm -hmm. always thinking from this uh, other creative space that everything has to be translated. And so then in the music, there is a translation that happens sometimes, or whether it's intentional or not, that this, uh, your, your, what was your verbiage around, um, bringing things from one state to another, like from yeah. gas to solid to, to, you know, we have to move through that space. But I think electronics are like a neat way to do that sometimes and, and to take something that is acoustic and, and alter it, or to take something that is, um, one sound and drag it into another type of soundscape, you know? And also kind of really plays with that idea of 
like natural and unnatural mm. <laughs> these sounds that are that are like we're very accustomed to with these sounds that are like oh this is electronic this is unnatural and but like is it anymore because this is so much a part of our yeah. soundscape now as humans in the 21st century um but yeah I think it plays with that a little bit um but yeah it's a you're right the sort of transformation is important and I th feel like that's been always kind of a vein in my music since like forever a lot of the time it's like kind of the narrative behind a piece of music is something that changes and transforms and like how to do that and how mm -hmm. to like make something that changes from one thing into another is really fascinating and I feel like I mean yes I think it relates to experiences like queer experiences as well because it's particularly salient for a lot of um queer people to go through like long and continuous journeys of understanding ourselves but um I feel like even before I was really aware of that aspect of myself there was a part of me that wanted to to understand myself and like see myself move and 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 change and like understand how how different things had happened um and how different experiences that I had um could change me and and what and to express something about those moments where I felt like I did realize something or something in me um, opened up, I guess, mm -hmm. to like uh, new ideas um, or new ways of thinking. Yeah. And, and I, th I think that's maybe why, I, you know, for me, a lot of a lot of uh, queer music and queer people in general um, really associate well with change. I mean, they're sort of, <laughs> you know, they deal with it well. Whereas, you know, yeah. which means they're, they're not very conservative with a little c. I mean, they tend to be yeah. because they have to deal with change. And, and kind of that's kind of interesting what you're touching on in your music is, is that it's we are all changing and it's something we yeah. deal with regularly. And that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, I feel like reflecting on how it relates to how these themes that have come up when I'm creating music, how they relate to identity and culture. It's it's always like kind of interesting to look at recent pieces, but also look back um, mm. as I go further through the past and see that there are actually so many threads that are like, I'm still holding on to all of these <laughs> similar threads um, through the whole time, despite the fact that um, some aspects of of myself have changed or there are things that I've realized about myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, yeah. that seems very true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You said something uh, a little bit about um, uh, sound of the modern, the modern soundscape and this kind of thing. And, and I think that was for me when I listened to this piece of music um, is, is what I heard. I mean, I, I, it kind of reminded me of, of like the, the the modern city and 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 you know being down in the in the tube station in London in the middle yeah. of the night and there's noise and there's trains coming by and there's sound and there's light and and it's kind of this semi dystopian sort of feel of clash of all of these sounds and that and I kind of that that's what it took me back to when I closed my eyes I could actually picture this kind of you know this this image 
of the chaos in the city and you know rats on the platform and this kind of thing it sort of brought together that quite re quite realistically i think yeah definitely was thinking about that sort of chaotic city busyness and just like overstimulation yes, <laughs> that you get but also like and then sort of like tying that in with this sort of um this idea of like witches in caves and like and these sort of like mysterious and and hidden things within this chaos um and the the sort of um secrets of things that no one wants to talk about um mm. and the um i guess and the yeah like what's in the shadows in this bright bright world <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah, <laughs> and maybe and maybe also you don't want to go into the shadows, which is the other bit I got out of it as well. You know, yeah. it's like I, I'm sort of there's there's this dark stuff, but maybe I don't want to go over there. That was kind of came out a little bit. Yeah, I think like the the little there's little bits that to me kind of feel a little bit almost like if you don't really pay attention and you're half zoned out, it would feel almost like this is just like advertising jingle music that you're hearing in the background. But then if you listen more closely, you're like. That's weird. Yeah, do I want to listen? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like there's this, there's something that looks sort of bright and colorful and pleasing and like exciting, but like there also might be something a little dark lurking yeah. behind that. Um, yeah, the sinister there's Easter Bunny. <laughs> there's a lot of poetry that I really love that like kind of deals with those places, um, like some that comes to mind there's definitely some by stevie smith um poet and also a few in a few by rilke as well so like yeah there's some poetry that kind of deals with that idea of like this like veneer of like mm. flashy interesting fun urban places and then behind them yeah. Do, do, do you not feel that's kind of a, a metaphor for, for life in general at the moment? I mean, in a sense, I mean, we've got this, this flashy sort of glistening sort of thing, yet as soon as you start peeling it away, you've got all this darkness behind it. It's kind of kind of like that, I think. Yeah, I feel like you're right. That's definitely, I mean, you can look at it as like a city and you can look at it as other things, but that's like society in general and the world and humanity and how we're interacting with our planet that we're like, look, we made it pretty yeah. <laughs> by destroying it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that's sort of like we're laughing and smiling about it, but inside <laughs> there's an anxiety about what have we done? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. All that. All you got all that into one, one, two, one, three minute. <laughs> minute that's fantastic. I think. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> it depends on who listens to it, whether I get all that into it. <laughs> so the third one we're going to listen to, uh, Twinkling Stars. Um, this one was the one you recorded uh, with your sister, correct? Yes. Yeah. And it has a, a very uh, folky flavor. It yeah. kind of has a, there's a, like, there's an improvised element to it. I'm sure like a flavor to it as well, where it kind of comes from. Um, it feels very much like home to me, obviously. <laughs> um, I feel a lot of connection to it, but um, maybe you can give us uh, some of the other two, your, your inspiration, where it comes from. Yeah, sure. Um, so this one, this is the, the only one of the three that I sent you that um, was written for a specific purpose. And it was 
um, although the entire thing wasn't used as usual, um, it was written for um, music for a play. Um, and the play was Saltwater Moon, which is set in Newfoundland in the 1920s. Um, so it definitely was going for um, sort of drawing from that uh, Atlantic Canadian uh, folk music traditions, um, that sort of heritage. And I grew up with a lot of that as well, like listening to it, singing it in school, singing it in choirs, but like also enjoying listening to other people do it. And my dad is also like he plays guitar and he sings and he, you know, writes his own folk songs and played in a folk band while I was younger and stuff so I was surrounded by that a lot <laughs> um, and was one of the joys of, of going to do my master's uh, where I did it at Newcastle University because they had a folk and traditional music program so I got to be around all these people who are making um, folk and traditional music again and it sort of yeah it was a nice like oh right yeah this is like a really big part of who I am it's kind of it's kind of really nice to be in an environment where that's sort of appreciated and accepted and taken seriously um, within an academic world. And there's people who are trying to be like amazing at it. <laughs> and well, they were too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a lot of, um, that's like a lot of kind of, yeah, where I came from. This particular one, this particular piece was um, sort of, more or less to kind of go around a part of the play where um, they were telling the story of like tragic events from the First World War and of soldiers and soldiers' stories and uh, what happened to them and what happened to them during the war and what happened afterwards. So, um, yeah, I wanted something that evoked that sort of folk music feel, folk song kind of feel, but I also wanted it to be, I mean, by nature, theater mu music has to be a little more minimal than some other things. So, um, so like, if it is loud and chaotic, it would never be as long. <laughs> but in this particular one, it, it wasn't meant to be, and I didn't want it to be. And for me, that's a part of um, my composing that I really like. I love having excuses to embrace um, not minimalism in that sort of repetitive rhythm sense, but like in the sense of like creating like just a melody line and fairly simple accompaniment that like is quite sparse. And I like the idea of doing things like having, you know, um, heterophony, like two voices where they're doing almost the same thing, but not quite. Um, and that's definitely very much uh, a common thing in in a lot of traditional musics. And uh, yeah, I, for me, I find it a really rich sort of place to explore as a composer and creator of music too, because there's so many ways you can do it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, that's like one of the streams of influences in my music that there are these sort of Celtic folky kind of um, themes in various pieces that I've written and projects that I've been involved in and part of it has to do with where where I come from and the fact that that like we are known for <laughs> for uh traditional music in in um I guess Atlantic Canada in general um and also uh my family 
my mother, interestingly, my dad was the one who played in, in bands that played like uh, Atlantic Canadian and um, Irish and, and Scottish folk music. But my mom was the one who actually came from Ireland to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and she wasn't really into that. Um, but but the, yeah, that um, it was a big part of my upbringing and just the musical environments that I was around. Um, Sorry, sorry, go on, Jacob. No, I was, I was just going to say purely uh, anecdotally, there's a, a Billy Connolly, uh, the, the Scottish actor, apparently came to Nova Scotia uh, in the early 90s and said, Nova Scotia has somehow managed to become much more Scottish than Scotland. Yeah. And it sounds that, I mean, the music to me was Scottish Highland, a lot of it. It sounded like Scottish Highland, you know, so it's kind of, you know. I mean, but hey, but, you know, geology wise, you Scotland and Newfoundland are the same, you know, so there you go. <laughs> this is kind of ironic. But, but and, and interesting because my parents are geologists. So, you know, maybe oh, somewhere <laughs> in the back of my head, I knew. You know, maybe, you know. But, but, interesting enough, right at the beginning, I got a very slightly oriental feel to it with, with the flute. Was it a flute or a recorder and and a plucked stringed instrument right at the beginning of oh, the yeah. piece? It sounded oh, yeah, kind yeah. of oriental a little bit. It had that sort of feel of a uh, an oriental beginning of a Chinese film or something a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I deliberately 
ever try to incorporate influences from sort of like Asian cultures, but I've had people say that they found things relatable just I think because of like me and my own personal aesthetic and where that takes things sometimes. I also remember having an interesting conversation with um, a composer who was Iranian Canadian and um, they said that there were elements of a piece that I'd written that reminded them of some things in Persian music. And I was like, I like, wasn't really thinking of that at all when I wrote it, but like, it's cool that it, you know, it ended up there and that we really met in this, in this place, like, um, yeah. me and my culture and what I grew up in and, and, and you and, and your, um, your sort of musical culture of your background. Uh, I think there, I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of, we've focused a lot on what's different and unique about music from different cultures. And when we talk about world music um, and folk and traditional musics from different places in the world, and there are a lot of things that are unique and different, but there's also a lot of things that are similar and and commonalities and types of sounds that you hear like that sort of breathy flutey sound yes. can come up in all sorts of different instruments. Like I could play, I could play something on my, um, on like a bamboo flute or on a low whistle and they would sound kind of similar um, that I have both of those instruments. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you just kind of, um, there's certain things that I think come up and I don't, I don't know that they necessarily, I think they can belong to each culture, but they mm. also are, I think, some sort of universal things that come up and I don't know how much we've always like talked about or, or looked at those things because so much of music history and like how it's been taught, or at least so much of how most of us have learned about the history of music has been so um, colonialized <laughs> uh, that it's really like, there's, we didn't start from a point of saying like, hey, people in this place make music like this and people in this place make music like this. Um, it's different because this and it's similar because this. Um, there was really never room to have those conversations or to have them in any kind of way that like that even approached everybody being on an equal footing. And there's always like judgment and hierarchy involved. Um, and I feel like I think I hope that someday we will get to a point where we can sort of talk about some of those commonalities that come up um, from a place where it's not sort of about judgment and hierarchy. Um, yeah. It's kind of interesting you say that because I, I for a while, I had a, a, a big interest in, in music from China and Japan. Uh, and of course, it's, it's, it's completely different to the Western tradition. And when I talk to people about it, it was always looked down upon. You know, they don't have a Mozart, they don't have a Bach, you know, because of the the way things are and they're different and all this kind of stuff. Mm. That, that's what you're sort of saying there is that, you know, this is kind of looked down upon, but it still has, a, there's a lot of similarity actually underlying all of these types of music. I mean, and in some ways, especially now, because like a lot of people have argued that it's really hard for us to have Mozart or Bach anymore because we are such a... The world is so big. There are so many people. It's such a global culture. Everybody's interested in different things. And there are multiple, many genres of music to listen to and enjoy and combinations thereof. So I feel like maybe I don't think our 
or sort of discussions and rhetoric and conversations are there yet. But I feel like in in the world we're kind of already moving past in in reality that idea of the sort of classical music genius composer um, uh, mm. image that is in but it's still that image is still embedded in a lot of people mm. in our heads by culture and education that's still around from the past and yeah I think it's re- I personally think it's a hindrance now to mm. um, to seeing where we can like what people can what humanity can create next to sort of have to focus on this idea idea of like one type of person who can be brilliant and a genius um and i feel like i mean i could go on about that for a long time because that was kind of the topic of my research paper in my doctoral degree so that's the, that's the next <laughs> program that's that's the next one fiona we get you back for we get you for that yeah. one later right <laughs> So, Jacob, I was really excited to hear Fiona's music. Her range of music is very diverse and she Mm -hmm. attacks life, if you like, from a lot of different ways. And and I guess I guess I was trying to think, you know, if I if I think I I don't know many composers, you're probably it. And my my brother in law. Right. You know, that's it. (laughs) I, I, I mean, in general, most most composers you hear of, you know, if you hear a piece of Mozart, it's a piece of Mozart and, and he's he's identifiable as Mozart, if you know what I mean. And uh, yeah. he, you know, I'm not, not saying it's not brilliant, but but it's kind of identifiable as that. Mm-hmm. If I heard Fiona's music from three things, as I said, when I first heard it, it was like who it could be three different people almost. And I think that's a, that it's a it's a good point to make, because I think what I have found knowing queer composers and talking with queer composers over the last couple of years is that in the same way that queer people in general draw on many different experiences and bring them into their kind of uh, cumulative life, I don't think it's any different for composers in the sense that queer people might in just a general way encounter many more different influences into their music that kind of spring up. I think there's a, a different um, a different finding process or a different creative mm. process or just different uh, routes to get to an end product that maybe is on some level inherently queer. Do, do, do you think that's because, I'm a bit philosophical maybe, but do you think that's because that's the way people around us make us do it or do you think that's an inherent queer thing i know and it's a bit sort of sounds awful but an inherent thing that we 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 have to find these alternate ways to look at things well i think it might be a bit of both i think there's there's an inherent push for queer people to find different ways to think about things and so therefore bring in different references or different styles or ideas but also by the community that we tend to create around each other, there is then that external othered influence as well. And so it might be a bit of both, that there are uh, people who show us different 
things that expose us to different musics, that expose us to different communities and ideas and populations that you wouldn't encounter if you didn't have a kind of queer group of friends around you. But then I also think the reason they're doing that is maybe because they themselves have had to bring in other things to their own life. And so it's a bit of from internal but also external influences, maybe. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I kind of I, I kind of only know from my own experience that that, you know, you're kind of forced to look at the world in a different way. It's just your experience isn't that of the um, cis heteronormal um, um, society. So you, you kind of have to go off and you're always looking at the whole world from a from a different viewpoint. And, and I guess that's what you're saying there with the composer. It's it's this it's this different uh, non rigid, I guess, maybe is the word or non structured sort of view of, of, of music and everything else, which enables you to sort of step outside mm -hmm. the space you're in, if you like. Is that is that kind of what you, you think? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think there's, you know, if if you were sitting in a composition class being taught by a composer who comes from a very strict Western classical tradition, um, an older cis white hetero man, that person is going to draw on influences that are familiar to them because that's what they were trained in and that's their experience. And so they're going to tell you things that, you know, flutes and clarinets have to play together uh, and they can't play in unison with violins because it's going to create a, a strange sound. And if you're going to include a tuba, it has to play with the basses or something. But I think if you, like you say, kind of step outside that box a little bit, that there's no reason that the tuba can't play with the violins. Like, there's, there's nothing telling you. No rule. <laughs> no, I mean, the laws of physics don't break because you'd have a tuba playing with a, a violin. Uh, but I think there is a thought that that is kind of uh, verboten. You can't do that. But you can. If you think of it through a queer lens, I, I think that's part of this other sound that sometimes kind of happens. Maybe like Fiona's music, where you get all these different style references and all these different sounds that happen because you're not thinking of it from trying to recreate Mozart or trying to recreate Beethoven. That's not even your starting place. You're, you're not even trying to emulate those people. And so the sounds that you're going to think of are going to be different. Yeah. And I, I, that's kind of interesting because when I, you know, when referring back to Fiona's music, it's, it is kind of like she's, in, in a sense, there's so many bits she's drawn from all over the place. You kind of hear the bit you like, if you see what, and, and that kind of a bit weird, but you hear Oriental or you hear Western or you hear this, and you kind of pick pick and choose a bit, and it's kind of like she's got a menu. I know it's, it's, it's kind of like that, and you hear you hear the things you want to hear, and you take something from it, whereas maybe with your average classical piece, you're sort of more... I don't want to say this in the wrong way, told what you want to hear. I, I don't mean it quite like that, but it's more. But I think there's a there's an element of truth to that. I think there is a rigidity and an expectation and a assumption of what, maybe if we're talking orchestral music, orchestral music sounds like. 
and what types of sounds you can draw from um, and what the musicians are expecting, what the audience is expecting. That is not necessarily a given if you take that element out, like you say. Mm-hmm. You can. I like that idea of, of having a, a menu that you just kind of pick you know, it's a it's an a la carte menu that you get yeah. to pick from instead of a, a, a tablet d'hote, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> kind yeah, of go yeah. through and pick. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, so I mean, uh, you know, and, and just just referring back to Fiona again, I think that's the that's what gave her music some dynamicism, I guess I would say to it. It was it was moving, if you know what I mean. It was it was every time you heard something, it was unexpected and it gave you a new perspective. And and that's kind of nice other than, hey, if I hear another Baroque composer, I know it's Baroque and I know it's got a formal structure and I know what's going to happen. I know the instruments and this kind of thing. So the next piece of Baroque from the same composer is going to be pretty much the same as the I mean, not, you know, and that sounds patronizing, but but it. But it has the thing. I was listening to some Henry Purcell over the last couple of days. Um, not a composer I know terribly well, but I, I thought I'd get a bit more educated. And it, it, it's really, it's it's, cle- it's clever, fantastic music, some really great stuff. I mean, we're talking, you know, you know, written 500 years ago, fantastic. But it kind of, you know, it kind of is formulaic in the sense you get the same the same musical structure and this kind of thing, which you don't get with Fiona. And, and I think that's the kind of thing we're going to hear as we go through these other podcasts that we're going to get so much variation. We're going to be like, yeah, well, this is so rich, if you like, in a sense. Yeah, I agree. I think from what I have seen from queer composers and what I know we will continue to see, as you say, we go through the podcast is that there's maybe more colors in the palette for queer composers to draw on comfortably, uh, which is just going to create more depth and sound and originality. And uh, it's, it's not that it's free of form necessarily, but it's, subverting form it's understanding form and changing it it's uh recognizing that there is 700 years of classical music structure seeing that and twisting it and changing it and understanding it and being able to draw from specific parts of it without being repetitive or um, reductive or um, too similar to even themselves it's not even self-referential it's just drawing from so many more sounds. Thank you for listening to the first Classical Queer podcast. I'm Jacob Keynes, and we hope you join us again for more queer classical performance from around the world.